Welcome to Q&A Selling Online with answers to questions about creating an online empire, promoting products, or building a brand. Your host, private label and e-commerce entrepreneur, Quinn Amorm. Welcome back, my friends. Today, we have a special guest who, in the summer of 2015, founded AMZ Pathfinder. He started doing direct ad management for brands selling on Amazon. And now fast forward to 2020, he has grown this business into an agency with 12 members. Uh, they still focus entirely on Amazon advertising and all shapes and forms. And they deal with the American and the European market. And we have with us today, Brent Zradnik. Brent, what's happening? Hey, Quinn. Thanks for having me on the show. You, you gave away the whole story already. <laughs> That's it. All right. Let me, it's a wrap, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty fair introduction. Uh, all, all of that is the case, and uh, excited to be talking to you here. It's uh, I think this is the first time I've been on a podcast with a Canadian host in recent memory, so I'm very excited. Actually, we got a North American bond here. There you go. Yeah. So uh, before we got into it, there was something that as soon as I saw your name for the first time, uh, not your name, your company name, AMZ mm -hmm. Pathfinder. I wanted to ask you if that is the original name. Because most Amazon companies that, that I know mm -hmm. had an original first name, and for whatever reason, some because they had the word Amazon in it and they had to change it. Has mm -hmm. yours ever been changed? That's a great question because it's very timely. Um, it never has been changed. From the very beginning, my focus was on Amazon, and I had a pretty clear idea of who the client profile would be. And at that time, it was like really hot to put AMZ in your name. You know, the Amazon game, as your listeners could probably appreciate, has changed drastically every year. And certainly in 2015 was like a nascent thing in a lot of circles. Um, at that time, I was actually living in Florida and like listening to um, the Scott Volker podcast. And, you know, I come from Google ads. So I like knew a lot about that. And I was like, hey, I could do this for Amazon companies and make a big impact. And, you know, sure enough, I had some friends who were sellers and I worked with them. But everyone was AMZ this, AMZ that. And it was just a really shorthand way of saying like, you know, nudge, nudge, we work with Amazon. Um, but actually, we've been approached by an Amazon uh, UK recently because we're doing a case study with them. And um, someone on their team has encouraged us uh, to drop that from our name, actually. So we might be up for a brand uh, rebrand pretty soon. So we're, we're looking at that right now. Okay, yeah. So uh, that's actually why I had no idea that you had been approached. But I know several people that started brands back in the day. And because they didn't know, they named it Amazon something, like Amazon seller something, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or Amazon FBA program. And of course, those are infringing of Amazon's, although yours isn't, but they mm -hmm. still uh, find it better if you had something else. That's funny. Yeah, we've heard whispers about it for years, but it's never been like a real problem. But now that we're going to be doing something in more direct uh, kind of combination with them in the form of this case study, mm -hmm. it's becoming uh, maybe a bit problematic. I mean, for us, though, it's pretty easy to rebrand. We can go any different number of ways, but we're going to keep Pathfinder in there because that's what we're known as in, in the industry. Exactly. People do know that name. Um, you know, we're not like famous or anything, but people definitely know Pathfinder. Oh, yeah, definitely. Five years on the go, uh, there's uh, a lot of people that do know the name. You know, it's funny how protective they are of the name. And I, no, it's not funny. It's actually a good thing. <laughs> um, you know that you ever heard of that um, the Amazon influencer program? Yes. Uh, yeah. So many months ago, they invited me to to join the Amazon influencer program, and and I did, and I didn't know, but it was the Amazon UK as well. 
And oh, interesting. I, yeah, okay. I actually wanted to join, and now I have the the dot com one. But originally, the one I joined was the UK. And even though it, it was an invite, I wasn't automatically accepted. I still had to pass their tests. And mm-hmm. one of them was, I can't remember where, maybe on Instagram, my name was Quinn Amorm, and then in brackets, it said Amazon FBA, whatever, right? Uh-huh. And they asked me to remove that if I wanted to, to get in. Uh, you know what? They have a, a very well-paid and busy legal team, I think, yeah. and they're, uh, they're looking for things to do maybe. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you, you and I are falling under that category of, uh, hey, you know, it's a slow Thursday at the office. What are we going to do here? Yeah. I mean, they never, they never forced me, but they said, uh, if you don't drop it, you cannot be an Amazon influencer. So I dropped it and I haven't done anything with the Amazon influencer yet. So, <laughs> ah, well, you know, you got to try these things. It's just like advertising, you know, sometimes you, you do a test and like, well, things don't work out for the best. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you lost some money on that, but it was worth a test anyway, for instance. And Absolutely. for you, yeah, time and money, almost the same thing. Right. So, so let's talk about advertising. You started, uh, in 2015, and that, that is pretty early when it comes to e-commerce and Amazon. Five years online is an eternity when it comes to an online business. Mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of things have changed in the last five years. What is like the biggest change that you noticed? That's a good question. Um, I would say the complexity and depth of Amazon's advertising platform has changed probably by orders of magnitude. So just going from my memory, I mean, we had, when I first started Amazon, I don't think we even had match types for keywords. It was initially just broad. And then they did bring out you know, <laughs> phrase and exact. It sounds ridiculous to say now, but that, that did happen. You know, they had to basically take, uh, as Amazon does in so many cases, they go from first principles and kind of figure out how should this work, you know? What I think they should have done is just looked at Google ads and just copied that wholesale. But <laughs> I don't know yeah. if there's a lot of patents on that and they're not able to do it. And they're slowly getting there. Like now we're starting to see uh, segments for targeting by like, uh, by like top of search and like placements like that. Yeah. But I hope that one day we're going to see things like mobile and gender and time of day and all kinds of other stuff. So, you know, at first it was so basic, rudimentary, I would even say. And just the complexity has increased many, many times since then. And that's good for, that's good for uh, us on the ad management side, for sure. Like, you know, more complexity means that more businesses need help. But I think that businesses that are properly using those things, also good for them. It's a competitive advantage when your competitors don't know or don't understand how to use the levels of targeting and refinement and techniques that you do. So I think more complexity is better. And of course, Amazon's motivation is let's increase that bottom line for uh money that people are putting into ad spend and how many slots we can put up on there and everything. So I think, you know, it was, it was like a, it was like just a little uh, experiment at first. And since then it's grown to be a real business sector of Amazon. I think they're quoting uh, just under 10 billion for ad sales this past year. And for 2021, I saw 17.6 billion or something like that. So, you know, they're trying to grow it and it's, it's a huge business. (laughs) Like so many things, Amazon, like it's a business in itself, you know, do you find it surprising that uh, somebody working at the Amazon advertising team, in, right in Amazon, mm-hmm. and they would not be ad experts? Would that be surprising or no? No, not at all. Uh, that wouldn't be surprising at all. Do you mean someone who's developing the product itself or someone who's like more in a support function? Uh, no, I mean, for example, in, in 2019, Amazon approached me, for example, with a 
I don't know, they were training uh, uh, the Amazon Pixel, right? So they, they developed this Amazon Pixel mm-hmm. and they wanted accounts that were spending over 35 grand a month to join. They would run all my ads for me at no expense whatsoever. All I had to pay was for the ads and they would get the input and then they would show me the data. I would not have direct access to the Pixel uh, mm. for whatever uh, reasons, right? For uh, confidentiality or whatever. But they would show me the information from the pixel. How many people added to cart? Uh, how many people saw my competitors' listings and then bought mine? All that stuff. Right, right. And and I, I was surprised with the amount of data that they do have. And, well, I mean, to be honest, not really surprised. You you know they have all the data. We don't. Yeah. Right. But when they reveal it was, is when it's surprising because you're like, oh, this does exist. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. What did surprise me was that. They did run my ads, but there was never at any point a positive ROI or mm. return of ad spend. So for, I believe it was for every dollar spent, they had a return of about 30 cents. So I lost 70 cents for every dollar that they spent. And of course, we're talking about thousands per day. And every campaign we do, there, there's, of course, there's always positive, the ACOS is never, I mean, it could be 200% ACOS mm-hmm, if we're trying mm-hmm. to rank a keyword or something. But in the long mm-hmm. term, we're not going to spend 30 or 40 grand and lose 27. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'd expect them to do better. Yeah, so you're talking about the direct management side. And I don't know the details of that arrangement. That doesn't sound, uh, you know, like, like the best... Uh, ROI, obviously, just from just from the numbers you gave me. But that Amazon attribution, that pixel, I think it might be a similar to what we have for some clients now where we can send things like Facebook or AdWords traffic to listings or, um, or a store page, you know, and get information out of that, like related yeah. to what you're saying. But it's interesting they, they decided to manage it for you. I mean, our kind of experience with Amazon managed and, or Amazon set up campaigns is, you know, the goals are not necessarily the same as a lot of our clients, you know, they're way more aggressive. They're way more focused towards spend and exposure and brand awareness. And, you know, it's, it's easy to be cynical about that and and kind of wave it away and say like, this is just their way of like getting you to spend a crap ton of money. And like, I understand that perspective for sure, because, uh, you know, running an agency, I hear those kind of concerns all the time from clients. Like, you know, how much should we spend? What's the budget? Like, what do you recommend? Like, don't spend this much. Um, And we have certainly seen, instances from Amazon run campaigns where they spent, you know, a boatload of cash with little to show for it. Mm-hmm. The only instance where that's not the case has been uh, DSP. So Amazon's like display display network. We have yes. some clients that have done that with us and we've had quite honestly, pretty mediocre results. We've had uh, some clients that have done that with Amazon and have seen pretty good results. And we have other businesses and uh, agency owners I've talked to and they've run DSP with some pretty good results with Amazon's involvement, uh, you know, either setting it up or helping them manage it. So that's one scenario where I think it's, it's pretty good. But, you know, if Amazon sends you over like a template with a bunch of uh, auto campaigns and says like, upload this into your account, I would really look at that very carefully before doing that uh, would, be, would be my advice. And by and large, you know, we, we examine those when we get them from Amazon reps and such, but we almost never implement them, um, especially around seasonality because, you know, the goal seems to be spend as much as possible around prime day. You know, it's like the, the client doesn't really want that. Usually they want oh, that was exactly some good returns and exposure, but they don't want to go blow all their money like that. So that was exactly it. It was actually the 
the two months prior to Prime Day, so it was building up to Prime Day. Right. So basically, the the pitch was more than it, when we get to Prime Day, no matter what the results are until then, you will be organically higher. And right. uh, yeah, no, it was a, a little bit uh, <laughs> on, the, on the negative side. But but then again, I got so much information that, of what they what they have that I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, and it's impressive the, the the fact that all those stats they have, mm-hmm. if they shared some of those with us, it could help, you know, uh, boost our profitability. Therefore, boost our spend, and you know, uh, guys like me and you that, that run ads every single day. Mm-hmm. If we knew how many how many of those people that clicked on our ad actually added it to cart. Right, and we know that in the next seven days they may convert or not. Right. Yeah, it would help a lot. We we get that stat actually inside of DSP. I'm not sure if you have any kind of familiarity with looking at the data from it or seeing it from a first from a first person perspective. But you can see ad to carts, and you can even see what's called view through conversions, which means someone actually mm-hmm. saw your ad. They didn't click on it, but they saw it, and then later they purchased that product. Um, in our experience with DSP, the view through conversions are usually higher than the click through conversions. And there's a whole nother nest of, uh, nest of snakes when you get into the, like, if you're running ads in seller central and you're running ads on DSP, which one gets the attribution and Amazon has what's called the last click attribution model. So whichever thing got the last click is going to get that sale. However, it gets uh, really strange when you start to have things like, well, someone clicked in seller central and ad you put there but then they saw your ad on DSP later. So technically DSP was the last thing that they touched, you know, I'm making air yeah. quotes here for, or I'm not sure from the video, but uh, you know, that was the last thing they touched. However, Seller Central is gonna get the credit because that was the last thing they clicked. So whatever was a click is gonna override it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can see things like ATCs, you know, add to cart. And we have an interesting metric inside of sponsored brands and Seller Central, which is that uh, NTB, the new to brand. And that's yeah. really interesting because we typically see that upwards of 85, 90% for our clients. So that means that roughly speaking, you know, 85, 90% of people buying from those sponsored brands are uh, a customer who has not purchased with your brand for 365 days. I think a year is like their rolling time window there. So uh, that's great because it gives you some evidence like, hey, you're actually pulling in new customers. And if your brand has a long-term kind of stickiness to it, you have a consumable product, you have some kind of way to bring those people in for the long-term, that's actually far punching above its weight. You know, your ACOS might be 30% and you say, you know what, 25% is my ACOS I want to hit. Well, actually 30 can be great long-term if you, know, you have all those other things and you're bringing in new customers. So that helps us make the case for advertising to clients too. So of course we like that. Yeah, I noticed that a uh, new to brand, uh, at least in my cases, it seems to be very low. And if it was a, a really old brand, I could guess, okay, there are a lot of reoccurring customers, but it seems like the percentages are very low to the new to brand. So I wasn't sure Hmm. if that was, uh, you know, correct information. Uh, We have no reason to doubt that it's, that it's incorrect. My understanding, like I said, is just, it's a year rolling window that Amazon provides. And what we're mostly advertising with sponsored brands is keywords that are higher volume, uh, you know, exact or phrase match, like tight groupings. Mm-hmm. And depending on the copy and what the lineup is and where the landing page is, we're trying to like get out to a big audience, but still maintain a really nice click through rate. If you are using branded uh, search terms slash keywords, for instance, yeah, those people might be repeat purchasers. And then, you know, 
you could have a discussion. Is it worth defending your brand turf? Yeah. Um, we, we have a whole blog post about this and, you know, clients ask about it all the time. Or is it, is it smarter to say, you know what, uh, if someone searches a brand, they'll find us because they'll click on our products, which will show up at the top anyway, and then we won't have to pay for it. Um, but, you know, your competitors might also brand on your term, uh, sorry, bid on your term. So then there's that whole dynamic <laughs> and yeah. it becomes a, a little logic puzzle for sure. Oh, man. <laughs> Now that you mentioned that competitors clicking on, on my brand, uh, you know, the last, yeah, last week I had one campaign that had a 1,050%. So this is uh, technically impossible to exist. <laughs> But it had a 1,050% CTR. So okay. the click-through rate. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a red flag. <laughs> exactly. That's a red flag. So uh, it showed that the keyword had 15 impressions uh-huh. and 162, something like that, clicks. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've contacted Amazon. It was funny. One of the support members said that I have no, no reason to believe that this is click fraud. I'm like, there's 15 impressions. How can it be clicked more than than it displayed? Uh, it was right, all, of course, right. they all they refunded all, or they they don't charge. Right, rightly so, rightly so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I don't know some too much of the details, but I know that there are you know black hat methods, click farms, like you know companies out there that you can probably contract and contact to like get stuff, with, yeah. get in touch with, and, and do that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we encounter that pretty rarely actually thankfully um oh. and we do have some some procedures for how to like handle that if we notice it but sometimes it will stick out in the data like that yeah <laughs> that's pretty it's pretty damning evidence in this particular category uh it is one of those cutthroat categories so mm-hmm. it uh, it happened quite often mm-hmm. so the main issue is not even uh, that we're going to spend the money because we do get it back uh, amazon they're very good at finding all the click fraud. Mm-hmm. The issue is that, for example, that click bot or whatever it is, it can spend six, seven hundred dollars that uh, that ad set has for the daily budget. Right. Spend it in seconds. Mm-hmm. So even though, let's say at midnight tonight, I'm going to get that back and, and my campaign is going to, instead of showing that it spent twenty six hundred bucks, it's going to go down to three hundred. My budget for the day ran out, so the ad mm-hmm. didn't display. That is the mm-hmm. main issue. And Amazon couldn't understand that. So the only option that we have is throughout the day, see, okay, you spent, uh, you know, you, you, your ad was displayed a thousand times and you already spent two grand. So we increased the budget, the daily budget again and again. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Uh-huh. It's painful. Yeah, that's that's a multi-layered uh, consideration to take into account too, because you know we have various backstops to prevent spend from from kind of overflowing like that. So you know the top one you can do is set your sponsor products daily cap. Just make sure that's at a reasonable level. You can set you know realistic campaign budgets that are related to the bids inside that that fit you know those bids and your expected exposure. And then you can use portfolios to set a limit too. So all those things are kind of like budgetary measures. And we often see audits. When we do audits, we almost never see people set those things correctly. Uh, usually the campaign are way too high or way too low. Uh, no one puts the sponsored products uh, cap in place and barely anyone uses portfolios. I mean, we use them in some scenarios, not a ton. But I take your point, you know, that, that's tough. And what makes it even worse 
is Amazon doesn't give us, uh, you know, date, what we call like day parting information. So we can't see, yeah. well, you spent $700 at three in the morning, you know, that would be strange, right? Um, yeah. But then later on in the day, you spend only 50, you know, at, at noon or whatever, uh, you know, noon uh, East Coast time, whatever it may be. Uh, once we can get that information, that'd be better. And in our experience, uh, you know, a campaign or an account will go on a budget and um, we'll get information about that from an email or a client will say something or we'll see it, but then the actual data won't update fast enough. So yes. it's possible to go out of budget and then go in your account and see, oh, wow, this campaign only spent 50 bucks, but the budget's 130. And well, actually it spent that through somehow, but it doesn't, it hasn't updated yet. Yeah. yeah. So these probably get a message. The platform. Uh, yeah. Right, right where the budget is, there's a message in red. Your your budget for today ran out, right. but often, like almost 100 percent of the times, I can see that I have not spent that amount yet. Although, because it's delayed, that's the unfortunate part. Because if I set a proper daily budget, the ad will turn off every time somebody does click fraud on it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, if the ad doesn't show, we don't get sales, but. <laughs> except for organic it's it's painful one last thing related to budget that i would encourage your listeners to try if they can um i think i think we look at the um what's the name of the report exactly i'm really blanking on it but there's a report you can download that shows your um your spend per day and then you can actually in excel like layer in the days of the week and the date on that and then you can break down and make a graph and we do this when we do an audit so we take a 60 day time period and we say all right, this is Monday through Sunday. Um, and so each one of these days, what's your sponsored product? Because we don't have this level of information for sponsored brands. Um, maybe with a new campaign report, you could do that actually. Um, yeah, but not to get off too much of a tangent, you know, you can basically track your average ad spend per day of the week. So when we do that, we pull out some interesting insights. Like some clients, maybe their products are more uh, purchased by like B2B customers. So we notice that the weekends for them are low and slow. But then that Monday and Tuesday spike is real. And then you start to see it kind of taper, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then that Saturday, Sunday is pretty low. And then boom, it spikes again on Monday, Tuesday. And when you average that data out, you can say, okay, does this match the day-to-day sales for this client and this account? Uh, And if yes, you know, how can we use that information to allocate spend more intelligently throughout the week? You know, whatever tools we we can have to do that would be really useful. Um, there's some third-party tools out there. You can do it manually, you know, going in the account and changing things around at, at the right times, although that's a real pain. Um, you know, I would suggest finding some kind of software that, that does that instead. Um, but yeah, like I said, day parting is rife with its own issues, which is, you know, we can't see the information at the hour-to-hour level. Just the day level is the best mm-hmm. kind of refinement we have at this point. And you mentioned the some third-party tools. <clears throat> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple that I use. And I mean, we're always looking to see what else is out there. What are the best? So without making this an advertising for anybody, what are some of the tools that you couldn't live without? Yeah. So on the agency side, uh, there's a couple that we use. Um, The first two that come to mind would be Prestazon. And that is a ad management tool. And along with Seller Central and just the bulk operations files, both of which we make heavy use of, uh, along with like macros and Excel, you know, we spend a lot of time in spreadsheets. Um, and you know, looking at numbers and crunching numbers, that's, that's pretty much how it goes for any agency. Um, that software is really valuable for helping us with bid optimization, bid management, and automating some of the tasks like kind of harvesting or collecting negative keywords and, you know, moving keywords through different match types and different 
campaigns in the account. So Press is good. There's a couple others out there that we like too, and uh, we recommend. Uh, Ad Badger is a good one too. Um, Bidex is a is a pretty good entry. Those are all ad tools. Um, as far as other tools, I mean Helium 10 we use a lot, and I'm sure everyone knows that one. That's a pretty yeah. big name. Really good for research, you know, reverse ASINs, keyword research. It, it's just a really good tool. Um, yeah, and uh, a shout out for um, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, brand Brand Analytics, <laughs> Amazon's own tool <laughs> from the dashboard, because that is also super powerful, super useful. Um, yeah, so we use that as well along with things like Jungle Scout to like scrape ASINs and like pull together lists of targeting, you know, things we can target in different ad types. That's very useful as well. Mm -hmm. Helium 10 does that too. They both have that, that feature. Yeah. That's uh, actually the one I use for that same reason is uh, Helium 10. So there's one thing I do. And for example, I grab the top four or five competitors and Helium 10 allows us to download all the keywords that they rank for Right, such and, a great thing. <laughs> and then say, I want to see the keywords that all four rank for on the same page, on the first page organically. So I know 100% for sure if all four rank on the first page for those keywords, mm -hmm. they are very relevant keywords. Right, right. Exactly. Would it make sense that I create a campaign with those since they're so relevant to my competitors? But at the same time, my competitors are, if they're the top four, I mean, they're the most powerful four. Does it make sense to use those? Right. Yeah, that's a good question because you're trying to balance cost, exposure, and, you know, expected returns. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, you could say, and by the way, we use that same strategy, which is a great, a great feature and a great thing. Yeah. But, yeah, maybe that's like one of the keywords that you already know about, uh, you know, or maybe it's one that you haven't discovered yet. But either way the cost per click bid that exists in that market for those keywords and what they're paying for it, it might be higher than you're willing to pay, or it may be higher than your conversion rate for that particular keyword can even support. Because what is a cost really? It's just a simple calculation between cost per click, uh, conversion rate and product sale price, right? Mm -hmm. Those three factors are going to influence it. And if any one of those is too out of whack, well, you're going to have a poor A cost. For instance, we have some clients that have products that are $8. It's like, you know, even if your conversion rate is amazing, what are you going to do? It, you know, you're going to get yeah. so many clicks and you've already done half the price. And then we have others that are, you know, several hundred US dollars or several hundred euros. And so their conversion rate might be 2% or something. But if you get enough people, you know, in the door, so to speak, with ads at a good cost per click, then you can make that work. That can, that can be economical. Um, so really, it's just a function of those, those several things. And um, yeah, it may be that it's too competitive for you to really bid on aggressively and you may mm -hmm. have to accept a lower bid and accept lower exposure in order to hit an A cost that's good. We have a saying in PPC, which is like, you know, any, any keyword is, is, uh, <laughs> is profitable at a low enough bid, right? But the question is, is that bid a bid that will allow you to be seen for anything? You know, if it's, tw if it's 25 cents for top competitive keyword in the US, Probably not. I mean, you'll get some clicks and impressions here and there, but you're not going to make any like traction. With it, so. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, for example, when it comes to the broad phrase and exact match, there's mm -hmm. something that uh, it doesn't matter that who you ask, you're always going to get a little bit of a different answer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you're creating a campaign, and especially if you're new at it, you create a campaign and Amazon is going to recommend you the keywords to target when you're on PPC manual campaign, 
They're going to say, mm-hmm. here's the campaign, here's the keywords. And by default, they check mark broad phrase and exact match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that now when you go through. Yeah, and by the way, that interface is so much better than it used to be in 2015. In oh, fact, nice. in 2015, the, the, the recommendations they gave you, I'm not sure if they even had that. And if they did, it was like the worst recommendations in the world. And now they're great. Yeah, sorry. But, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So would you ever add all three, so the same keyword and all three broad phrase and match to the same ad with the exact mm-hmm. same bid? And what would happen? No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't add those in the same ad group uh, under distinct separate campaigns. Yeah, uh, but not in the same ad group. And the typical strategy, I'm sure you know, and a lot of your audience is familiar with, is like staggering the bids. So you would say broad is low, you know, phrase is the medium, and exact would be the high one. Um, you know, we we operate a little bit differently than that. We really are focused on search term isolation. So we're not trying to duplicate the appearance of search terms in many places in the account. And we typically will start with research campaigns that are like auto and broad, sometimes phrase, although we use phrase a lot less in general. So we're, we're very broad and exact focused. Um, and then as those things start to prove themselves, we migrate them into exact match campaigns. And that's a pretty like well-known strategy. I've seen dozens of accounts that work totally fine with broad phrase and exact and different uh, you know campaigns and different staggered bids too. That's one of the nice things about PPC. It's like, there are a lot of great areas and I'm not going to stand here and say like, this is wrong. You shouldn't do that. There are areas for interpretation, experimentation, and you know, as Amazon's marketplace always shifts, their algorithms shift and uh, the game, the game changes. You know, we always have new features. There's new things to try all the time. It's just that, you know, we need to have a system and stick to it. And that seems to work quite well for us and our clients. So we, uh, that's how we do it. (laughs) How about creating uh, a campaign and then inside that campaign, each ad has one keyword only. Each ad with only one keyword. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, um, that's totally fine. So you can call that single, single keyword ad groups, which would be called a SCAG, which is actually a, a word from, you know, uh, from uh, Google ads back in the day. Uh, but we do single keyword campaigns sometimes. We absolutely do that. And another reason you might do that is budgetary, first of all, because you set budget at the campaign level, right? You don't yeah. set it at the ad group level. Um, and also some other, some other features that are available at the campaign level rather than ad group. For instance, uh, you know, that top of search, um, uh, product, product page, and then rest of search, you know, the feature where you can change the bidding based on location. So let's say that we want to push for a keyword and we have data to support that it would do really, really well with top of search. Well, we might make a campaign separately for that keyword and then push that top of search, uh, modifier, you know, that percentage modifier aggressively for that. And then that allows us to not only budget for it, um, but also to isolate it in one area because you can only get the data for that at the campaign level right now. I mean, mm-hmm. in the future, I think Amazon will give it to us at the ad group level. I don't know about keyword. That's pretty extreme. Um, although they do do that for sponsored brands. So <laughs> it's possible. Um, but uh, yeah, right now, right now, that's like the way we would use that. And certainly uh, I, I think there are advantages to doing, to doing that structure. Um, so I don't, I'm not against it. I think it's totally fine. The only problem is that scale, you know, it can become really hard. That's easy when you got five SKUs and, you know, a couple of yeah. big keywords here and there, but when you have 500 SKUs, uh, that's a different game. <laughs> so yeah, you have to start thinking SKUs, about it differently. 500 SKUs times uh, four or 500 keywords per SKU. Uh, right. You suddenly become, you have a 2.5 million ad, ad campaigns. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so, you're going to hit the uh, limit on Amazon's uh, campaigns there sooner or later. <laughs> I did a test recently with uh, exactly what you said, and it was uh, instead of having one keyword per ad set, it was one keyword per campaign. Mm-hmm. And I have one of those one of those campaigns that I'm guessing everybody has. It's one that you set up a long time ago, but uh, maybe I don't know because it's been grandfathered in or something. It's always been running great, and you mm-hmm. don't touch it, right? It goes six months that you don't even touch that campaign, and it keeps running for years. Right. Right. And I created this. I figured, okay, I'm going to find the top relevant keywords. And I'm going to create one campaign for each one. And not only that, but the copy in that, because it's a display ad, the copy is going to be relevant to each one of those keywords. Hmm. I turned them all on. And by all, I mean, at this point, we're talking about just 20 uh, campaigns with uh, each with one keyword. Mm-hmm. And when I turned them on, my main ad, that that old one. The old timer, yeah. It stopped getting impressions overnight like that. So I fi- I'm guessing, was I outbidding myself? Or, or would the, could that be a coincidence? Well, if your bid is going to be substantially higher for the same exact search term, and let's make a distinction between keyword and search terms, for the same exact search term elsewhere. Yeah. Um, typically there's going to be a warm up period where Amazon's going to like keep impressions at that original one because it's proven. But if your bid is sufficiently higher, it will shift those impressions over to it. Overnight is, is pretty example is pretty extreme. I don't, I don't hear about that too often, but it's possible if the old one was kind of running at a lower level and then you set up all these distinct ones that were mm-hmm. you know switched on and they had a higher bid. Yeah, that could totally happen. Um, one other thing that, that we see, and this is, this is edging more into like, um, I would say like Amazon ads conspiracy theory <laughs> is, is like, um, you know, if you, if you have a um, keyword that's, let's say, uh, let's, for simplicity's sake, let's say it's in an aged campaign like that um, and it's exact match. So it's, it's matching, you know, that search term or very close variations yeah. like four or, you know, plural. Um, you take that exact same keyword and exact match and you put that in a new campaign for some other purpose, like maybe you split it out by itself the performance you're going to get is worse than that original one. Um, And we think there's probably two reasons to that is, you know, that aged campaign has a lot of history. That's kind of tying that ASIN and that keyword together because that's what Amazon is looking at is like relevancy. So, you know, if we go back to Google, they have what's called a relevancy score. We don't have that in Amazon yet. I think one day we will. Um, But right now there is an assessment that they're making when the ad auction occurs, like how relevant is this pairing? So that relevancy score for that, is really high because it's been running for a long time. Therefore, your actual uh, cost per click to get you like in the auction uh, and placed in first position or second position or whatever it may be is going to be uh, lower because your relevancy is so high, you don't need a bid as much. That's the idea. Amazon's trying to get high click-through rate. They're trying to get people to buy. That's what they're interested in, just like Google. Um, so, you know, that new campaign hasn't really proven its stripes yet, even though your bid might be the same, even though... Uh, the keyword is exact match. It's the same thing. You know, that's a simple explanation of this. A more complicated explanation would be, well, you know, if one of those is broad match or phrase match, you're not really bidding against the same search term. You're actually bidding on the average of a whole bunch of search terms that are behind that keyword. So, you know, that's a little bit easier to dismiss, but we definitely see this phenomenon where that happens sometimes. And, you know, we've even heard people say like, uh, this is one I came across recently. I, I don't, I don't believe this personally, but someone said, 
what, what happens if you change the name of the campaign? Does the naming have anything to do with it? I was like, whoa, we're getting into real conspiracy territory now. But, you know, this is a kind of like alternative thinking I can appreciate. Uh, but I can't necessarily see I agree, I agree with that. But it's more about quality score, I think, and like long-term results of the campaign than it is anything else. Gotcha. How about in, in your ads? Do you have ads with 999 keywords? Uh, or for example, oh, like, like ad groups, ad groups with that many. No, yeah. we tend to keep ad groups smaller. And actually one thing we're experimenting with is keeping ad groups to like, uh, anywhere from 30 to 50 keywords. And then sometimes making an additional ad group, you know, with the same thing, like let's say we have a research campaign and we have a bunch of broad match we want to try. We'll, we'll go in there and we'll give our like best 35 and we'll put it in there and then we'll say, okay, what's the next like 35 on the list. And we'll put those in there or, you know, somewhere in the 30 to 50 range. Because it, it seems, this is another one of these like observations without, you know, I don't have like a big backlog of data behind me to back this up. But, you know, if you put 500 keywords in an ad group, some of those are going to get impressions and some of those are just going to sit there. But maybe if they sat in a different ad group, they would uh, have more share and more impression. And so that's kind of the theory we're, we're testing out. So, you know, multiple ad groups are good for many reasons. That's just one potential reason. Okay. No, I, I love that you said that because I'm doing exactly exactly as you are uh, mm -hmm. I'm testing campaigns with like 50 to 56, I think is uh, one of the numbers that we're using is 56. Oh, interesting. Why 56? Is there some secret sauce behind that? No, no, no. It was... It was uh, is that how old Jeff Bezos is? Is he 56? Is <laughs> it? <laughs> no, it was actually coincidentally, uh, we were uh, planning on having 50, but one of those campaigns that we decided to do, the top most relevant ever... And there was 56 mm -hmm. keywords, so it just stuck. Oh, okay. Okay, sure. Uh, but yeah, I remember days when you used to do uh, the same SKU and run uh, one campaign with four ads and all with 999. So like, we're, we're targeting 4,000 <laughs> keywords. And <laughs> All broad, yeah. right? All broad, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you start those at five cents and, you know, you inch up, uh, that might be okay. But uh, generally speaking, I think Amazon, you know, they have guidelines. It's, it's changed over the years. Like, you know, the relevance for your category associated with that keyword and if that keyword is allowed to be seen in that category actually matters. Like, you can't just be selling a, um, I don't know, like I have, a, I have a soda stream next to me here. I'm a big, I'm a big fizzy water guy. And so you can't just be selling like a, a you know, soda stream bottle on Amazon and then put a keyword for like, uh, I don't know, backpacks. Like those are two different things and you're not going to get those impressions because Amazon knows this is not in the, uh, what, I think what they call a browse node at Amazon, right? It's not in the yeah. same browse node. So you can't, you can't be seen for that. Um, and yeah, we, uh, my, my friends at AdBadger, uh, they call that the, uh, the keyword dump method where you just, you just take like thousands and just put them in all these campaigns and just like, yeah, sh you know, shotgun it. <laughs> See what happens. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're selling Bluetooth speaker, but you have the word, uh, chainsaw in, in one of the keywords. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so before I let you go, there's, um, one more I want to ask you. Okay. You know, on an Ilium 10, there's that, oh, when you're tracking the keywords, if you could track the keywords on Helium 10, there's one option where you click on the boost and you can measure the, uh, the BSR of that keyword every mm -hmm. hour. Instead of being mm -hmm. per day, you can measure every hour. Right, right. It now, does it for 10 days or something, right? It's correct, yes. Yeah. And we're allowed to do, I don't know, 500 keywords or something like that. And I was using that recently and tracking a lot of keywords that had clicks 
on my PPC and zero sales. Okay, mm -hmm. so zero sales, meaning it did not convert, but it got clicks and the keyword would lower the BSR by the hour without getting a conversion. Is that like you said, like a, a witch hunt or, or am I seeing this correctly? <laughs> Well, when you say, well, let's be clear, when you say lower the BSR, you like lowering it means that, that it would be a higher seller. You mean Correct. increasing yes. the BSR? Yeah, no, lowering, being a better lowering, seller. Lowering the BSR, okay, okay. Yeah. Interesting, so, yeah. So, I mean, what, we, what we've seen, uh, sorry, in, in my estimation. Sorry, let me correct this. Not okay. the BSR. It was not the BSR. It was my organic, the rank, right? organic ranking, sorry. Right. So the rank would be in, the rank would be improving. Then it would be, it would be a lower number. Yeah, yeah. So what we, what we've seen is a shift from uh, you know yet again this idea of going back in the day like 2016. If if you were going to spend a crap ton of money on a given keyword, you could theoretically push up your rank for that. Like let's say mm -hmm. you're selling Garcina Cambodia, whatever one of these like insanely expensive, incredibly complex things. I tried uh, it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I salute you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you could spend a bunch of money on that and that would help your, your ranking because people are clicking through it and seeing it. Right. What we've seen now in 2019 and 2020 here is Amazon cares more about the metrics associated with that, with that keyword, with that. So it's like higher click through rate, add to carts, conversion rates, maybe, maybe even like dwell time, you know, time on page, um, you know, are they really reading the benefits and features? Are they going into your A plus content, which you can do, uh, you know, uh, a-B tests for now, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, but all those things are going to factor in. So yeah, if someone clicks, that's a pretty high, uh, that's a pretty high, um, you know, that's going to improve your click-through rate, right? And that's a pretty high uh, intention signal, right? They're saying, this is something I'm seriously considering buying, you know, if they actually meant to click it, you know, assuming that's the case. Mm -hmm. So I can see that helping with organic. I mean, a sale is obviously going to be the biggest and strongest vote. Yeah. Uh, add to cart, I think is something everyone knows about, you know, wish list. These things are sometimes abused too by bots and lists and stuff. But uh, in terms of advertising signaling, that I could see that happening. I'm willing to entertain that possibility for sure. I wonder if it was what you just mentioned, uh, you know, adding to a list or even adding to cart because that mm -hmm. does count as an mm -hmm. engagement. So right, because we see people use those like super URLs or you know URLs that that do yeah. add to carts. That's very common with like Facebook ads and such. Uh, I'm not an expert in that, but I know people who are real gunslingers with that. So they uh, mm. they got that stuff on lockdown. Yeah, so that that could that could have been it. And I was like, don't tell me they changed it, and now clicks will actually get me organic rank because that would be super easy to get. <laughs> So it probably helps a little bit, but it's not going to be as much of a vote. It would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's at, uh, depending on the category, but if it's at $4 per click, uh, that's not a test that I, I want to, <laughs> I want to try. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. I mean, you literally would be paying for rank at that point. And, uh, you know, like I said, I think that's how it used to work a bit more, but let's, let's assume that that is probably a bigger influence now that that's my sense of things, uh, is the metrics, you know, not just sheer volume. Did you ever try tests like with uh, a keyword that doesn't exist for you make up your own word, throw it somewhere in your listing and then create mm -hmm. a PPC campaign to that word that nobody in the world will ever search for. <laughs> and then you click on it and, and convert to your own product to see what happens. Have you tried that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've tried that at some point in the past, not any recent, not in any recent past, but I think, you know, time was you could, you could do that with the backend search terms or make sure it was on the listing. And then, you know, you would be seen as at least indexed and relevant and you could appear on ads based on that. Um, 
but yeah, not, not much utility doing that now, <laughs> though. I mean, it'd be fun to try. But yeah. yeah, I think usually when we're doing searches for our own ads, we're, we're trying to assess placement um, and just see what appearance looks like and, and such. Yeah. You know, uh, before I let you go, just one more. In, in 2015, you, like you said, everything was very, very different. And there's a lot of things you could do that does, don't work anymore. But uh, testing exactly things like that with throwing keywords inside a campaign. And there was another thing that I used to do was I always named because I, I trained before even Amazon with Google SEO. So I mm -hmm. knew that mm -hmm. naming your pictures with your keyword .jpeg, for example, right, right, would right. help you rank. So I always, even if I couldn't measure results, I still do that. I still today name all my pictures with a, my keywords that I want. Well, there's no way it could hurt. So why exactly. not? <laughs> yeah. And, and then I tested with throwing random keywords that had no relation to my product. And at one point in Canada, on Amazon Canada, I was mm -hmm. ranked number one for the word bacon. And I never sold bacon ever, of course. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, maybe you're missing on a big opportunity. I don't know. Uh, I, I thought about that because that particular product that, that ranked on the first page for bacon and had zero, uh, zero relationship to bacon, right. I, that ended up dying, right? With time, that product is, doesn't exist anymore. And I thought of using that same ASIN, create another bacon product and, and, and sell it. But uh, I never did. So. That's amazing. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, I have no idea what ranks number one for, for bacon on, uh, on American Amazon right now. But just, just as a piece of trivia, I'm not sure if you know, in, uh, you know I'm, I'm from America, but live in, live in France now, as we uh, maybe alluded to earlier. But in, in America, we, we have Canadian bacon, which I think is like the round, we call it Canadian bacon, like the round bacon that you put on a sandwich or something. I'm not sure why it's called that. Oh, here um, we just call it bacon. <laughs> yeah, it's just bacon. Okay, but you don't do the long strips or you do both? Oh, no, they are, but because we're in Canada, it's just called bacon. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, uh, Fantastic. All right, Brent, tell everybody uh, where they can find you and um, social media, your uh, AMZ Pathfinder, everything. Yeah, we're AMZ Pathfinder everywhere. I think we even have a Twitter that I don't use, uh, but we're definitely on Facebook. Uh, we're definitely um, going to be at a bunch of conferences this year, uh, you know, mostly European ones because our team is mostly in Europe. I live in Europe. So, you know, if, if anyone's at uh, the European SellerCon in Prague, uh, Seller Sessions in May in London, uh, I might be in some Chinese events uh, around the Kenton Fair and stuff in October. So, and a couple others in between might be speaking at some places. So if you are there, <laughs> say hi to me. Um, and you can find us at amzpathfinder.com for sure. I'm on Facebook as well. We have a somewhat active presence there. Um, and yeah, we might do a rebrand. So hopefully this isn't too out of date by that time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when yeah. you do, let me know and I'll, uh, I'll mention it here or bring you back. Okay. Sounds good. I'd like to come back on again. This is a blast. Plenty to talk about with ads. So <laughs> never, never out of topics. <laughs> Thank you, Brent. It was a pleasure having you here and we'll definitely have to do it again. All right. Sounds good, Quinn. Thanks.